Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Further cuts to Arizona's allotment of Colorado River water are coming. What's that going to mean for Southern Arizonans? Water levels in the two big reservoirs on the Colorado River continue to drop to levels not seen since they were built. Water in Lake Mead and Lake Powell are hundreds of feet lower than their maximum capacity, and federal officials are preparing to enforce a new round of cuts. For help understanding where things sit now, we're joined by Alex Hager, a familiar voice to AZPM listeners. He's the managing editor and reporter on the Colorado River Reporting Project based out of NPR member station KUNC. Alex, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So a week ago... The federal government handed down some more cuts, an additional 3% to Arizona, bringing our total cut to 21%. What happens now? Well, the important thing to know is that those cuts were not massively substantial. And in fact, as you had mentioned, the bigger news is that, you know, the states that use water from the Colorado River missed the chance to cut even more water. They failed to meet that federal deadline. And what would have been kind of substantial changes uh, to how much water is being used, uh, that opportunity was not seized upon. And the cuts that did happen are relatively small. They will affect a relatively small area. And the people who will be losing water have generally already found alternatives. What happens now really remains to be seen. Uh, The big deal was that the federal government said, if you don't meet this deadline, and to the states, if you don't come up with a plan to conserve water, we're going to do it for you. However, when the deadline passed, the federal government didn't have a backup ready. They uh, basically had their bluff called by the states. And so right now, the federal government has said, go back to the table, see if you can work something out. And some of the districts... uh, that are uh, tasked with coming up with this plan have have kind of referred to it as an extended deadline. There was an idea that it might not even be legally feasible for the federal government to intervene in the way that they had threatened. So it's possible that they didn't step in because they didn't want to send that message. It's possible they didn't step in because they didn't think they were legally allowed. But right now, the situation is that the supply is still going down, demand is steady, and the challenge of divvying up the river shrinking supply is, is as hard as it ever has been. What are the chances that the states can get around a table and hammer out some kind of a deal? And of course, the tribes have to be involved with that. Mexico could be involved with that because they are part of the Colorado River system. Is there any chance that this happens without either ending up in court or some serious federal intervention at some point? That is the big question. And here's the deal. You know, states love to talk about collaboration. They talk a very big talk about how the only way out of this collective problem is a collective solution. But when the rubber meets the road, as it did during this sort of federal call for massive conservation, they were unable to rouse that collective energy. And really, the fact that they weren't able to put a deal together was the result of finger pointing. It was the result of of states saying, no, it's someone else's job to take the hit first. And it seems like there is not a lot of momentum to have voluntary sacrifices of water to the extent that it seems more likely that federal intervention is how this gets settled. For a long time, we were saying uh, 
you know, the, the time that we were really going to see states make those collaborative sacrifices was before 2026, when a new set of guidelines for how the river is managed are due. The current ones expire, so they have to come up with a new plan by then. However, the pace at which the river is shrinking has made it clear that we really can't wait that long. The basin cannot wait that long and has to conserve earlier. And this was the biggest and best chance in recent memory for them to conserve a ton of water, and they just didn't do it. Is there a new deadline and ex- on this extended deadline, or is it just one of those loose, well, you need to get it done kind of deadlines? It is the latter. Uh, we uh, actually did talk to the Assistant Secretary for Water and Science, Tanya Trujillo, at the Department of the Interior, and she confirmed that there is no uh, new federal deadline for coming up with water conservation. However, it would not be totally out of left field if the states came up with at least some sort of plan or the federal government came out and said, we've actually decided we are going to force some conservation. When it comes to the federal government's interest in this, obviously drinking water is of interest to them. But there's also a lot of hydropower that's generated by the lakes. Where Where is their bigger interest? In the immediate term, it's certainly the reservoirs uh, maintaining hydropower and then maintaining a number of other factors of sort of normal operation at the reservoirs. You know, realistically, a lot of a lot of the conservation measures we've seen recently, this kind of shuffling around of water from reservoirs far in the upper basin, like in Colorado, Wyoming and Utah, down to Powell and Mead, uh, you know, that's not necessarily to buffer this threat to drinking supply, but more to buffer the threat to hydropower. You have millions of people depending on hydropower generated at the Glen Canyon Dam. And you also have the threat that if water gets low enough, it might not be able to even pass through some of the pipes in those dams at the rate that we need it to. Uh, So more than anything else, the measures we've seen lately have been to top up reservoir levels in Lake Powell and Lake Mead just to keep them operating normally. That was Alex Hager, the managing editor and reporter on the Colorado River Reporting Project. Despite looming cuts, the city of Tucson this week asked for its full allocation of Colorado River water. That's 144,000 acre feet. To learn more about how any possible cuts would impact the city and other municipal water utilities, we spoke with John Kimmick, director of Tucson Water. We began our conversation looking at the role Colorado River water plays in the city's water system. Right now, it's our primary source of what we bring into the community into southern Arizona. We predominantly recharge that water in our uh, recharge facilities in Avra Valley, as well as south of Tucson near Pima Mine Road. Uh, We do have some other agreements where we have what's called the groundwater savings facilities with some of the local farms where they use the water on their property in exchange, Tucson gets groundwater credits. Right now, our utilization of CAP water is we use about two thirds of it to meet our annual demand and about one third of it is still banked in the aquifer for future Tucsonans use. So when we say it's banked in the aquifer, as you said, we recharge it. So it all goes into the aquifer and we pump out the equivalent of two thirds of it. Correct, correct. Uh, We we still have, uh, our wells throughout the Tucson Basin as well as the Avra Valley Basin um, are all registered to pump recharge Colorado River water. So though it may not be molecule by molecule Colorado River water, it's a mixture of groundwater, native groundwater, and that recharge water predominantly is what the community gets. Okay, for our listeners who heard, oh, we save a third of all of our water. How does that translate into time? How many 
hopefully years of water do we have saved up? When we're just talking about the city of Tucson's Colorado River allocation and what we do with it, how we bank it, utilize it, about 44,000 acre-feet a year uh, roughly goes into our savings. So we've been doing that over several years now where we have more than five, probably getting close to six years of annual city in uh, Tucson water demand that is banked Colorado River water out in Arrow Valley and south of town. So with this latest cut to Colorado River water, the state of Arizona as a whole will now lose a total of 21%. It was 18%, now it goes to 21%. How does that affect Tucson water customers? Is there any danger I turn on the tap and 3% at the time it's not there or whatever? (laughs) No, no. That's uh, not how it works. How it will work, though, is there's less water that Central Arizona Project can sell. So there's going to be a reduction of 592,000 acre-feet based on this tier 2A condition. And what that takes away from the Central Arizona project is their ability to sell excess water, then their ability to sell agricultural water, which is a lower priority than what we have. And then there's another priority um, called non-Indian ag water. And then it gets to where Tucson's contract is, where most cities have, and that's called the municipal and industrial contract. So most of those contracts that have lower priority above us are going to lose access to their water. But with this cut, it'll start to dip uh, potentially into the M&I pool, is what we call it, the pool where all the cities have those contracts. And we anticipate we might lose access to 1% to 2%, uh, just a couple thousand acre feet. Where it affects the utility more is in our finances. Uh, Because if CAP has less water that they can sell on the canal, then the cost to deliver water is borne by those who can still purchase it. So there's a lot of fixed costs in the operations and maintenance. And if they cannot sell water to ag or those other contracted users that have a lower priority, it just means that those who still have the right to purchase water are going to bear more of the burden of those uh, fixed costs in operating the canal. City of Tucson, Tucson Water makes an order every year, if you will, to the CAP. The mayor and council have just approved the coming order, and it's the same amount that we have done in the past. Councilman Kozacek said, no, we should lead by example and cut the amount we're ordering. What's the advantage of not doing that? Because I think a lot of people will hear that and say, oh, that makes sense. We're we're getting a cut, we should take less. The challenge with not placing your full full order of uh, Central Arizona Project water on an annual basis is when you don't place your full order, what you leave behind is open access to anybody else. So that water just gets sold to another user uh, that has the ability to purchase that water, or if it's left in the lake, it could be taken by the state of California or another user on the river itself. So it's not as a quick and easy thing to do to leave water. It doesn't stay with Tucson's name on it for another day. It just gets reapportioned to somebody else. So most, at least newer homes, and a lot of older homes are being retrofit with low-flow toilets, low-flow shower heads, people should be doing drip irrigation in their yards, all of that. But with these cuts, what do you and I need to do and all of our listeners need to do to reduce our water usage? Well, 
the, the pride uh, that we have at Tucson Water is that our community has been very uh, conservation-minded for decades now. We've had to beat the peak campaign uh, to, to get rid of some of those high demands that we used to have in the summertime back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, we've implemented a reclaimed water system over the last 40 years, which has taken a lot of those irrigation uses, traditional parks, schools, golf courses, and put them on a renewable resource. Uh, but what Tucson Water customers can do today is to continue to take advantage of the conservation programs that Tucson offers, uh, continue to look at how their appliances are used. Are they waiting till their dishwasher is completely full before they run it? Are they doing a full load of laundry? All those little things help. Probably the biggest thing um, that we're gonna be messaging out in the near future is watch your toilet. The toilet can leak uh, a lot of water with a bad flapper or bad fixtures inside that toilet. So people should get in the habit of annually doing maintenance on their toilet and replacing their, their flappers on their toilet. These are just a couple dollar items in most cases, uh, but it could potentially save people hundreds of dollars over a course of a year. When you say beat the peak, I'm sure a lot of people are cheering. I've been here long enough that I remember the beat the peak ads. They seem so popular. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love our duck. Yeah. <laughs> So a favorite target, especially in Maricopa County, is golf courses. People look at these big, beautiful green golf courses and say, well, that's a waste of drinking water. As you said, most of them here are watered with reclaimed water. Is there any kind of monitoring even of the reclaimed water to make sure that the golf courses, even though it's reclaimed, are, are being smart about what they're doing with that? That's a great question. That comes up often, and that was a that was one of the conservation ethics that this community uh, did many years ago, probably close to forty years ago, to, to say that golf courses should get on a renewable resource like reclaimed water, and that was the impetus for the city to expand our system, um, you know, from Dove Mountain down to the southeast, down to Star Pass, and and all points in between. So what we've seen with our golf industry and our golf community is. Irrigation is one of their largest expenses. So when we're selling them reclaimed water, people might be noticing the golf courses have been changing the last 30 years. They're not the wide open fairways that's outside suburban Chicago with oak trees. They are more changing into these desert style courses. And it's a lot of that is because golf courses want to use as little water, but have a tremendous experience in golfing in Southern Arizona. So you're seeing a lot of changes. Golf course, pay attention to their water use, probably more than any group out there because it is such a large expense of their business. And we support them in doing that. It sounds like the takeaway from all of this is for the average Tucson water customer, be aware, conserve where you can, but don't worry, the tap will still run. Exactly. Uh, the city of Tucson has tremendous water resources. We've talked a lot about the Colorado River water. We've talked a little bit about reclaimed water. We still have legal entitlements to millions of acre feet of groundwater in Avra Valley and in the Tucson Basin. Um, one of the stories I always like to share is one of our very first changes as a community was back in the late 60s and early 70s when the mayor and council made a decision to buy over 22,000 acres of farmland in Avra Valley, retire those farmlands to get the water rights associated with them. So that was one of the first major water resource plays that the city made and having all that acres out in Avra Valley is what provided us for the recharge and recovery projects, for to put the CAP water, and then just all the groundwater associated with that that's been banked out in Avra Valley. 
from following those agricultural fields. How much do we use a year, acre feet wise, we being Tucson water? Uh, our current demand of total uh, usage is around 100,000 acre feet a year. So when we talk about our CAP allocation at 144,191 acre feet a year, the community is only using just north of 100,000. That's why we're able to bank that excess water and then recover most of it as CAP water. All right. Thanks for spending some time with us. All right. Thank you. That was Tucson Water Director John Kimmeek. You're listening to The Buzz. After the break, how further cuts will hit the area's agriculture industry. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We're looking at a new round of cuts to Arizona's share of Colorado River water. Now we turn to the state's farmers and ranchers. The agriculture sector accounts for 72% of Arizona's water use, and much of that water comes from the state's share of the Colorado River. Chelsea McGuire is the Director of Government Relations for the Arizona Farm Bureau. She began our conversation by explaining just how much of agriculture's water starts in the Colorado River. Depends on what part of the state you're talking about. So in traditional times, the before times, if you want to call them that, about half of Pinal County, the central county in Arizona, about half of their agricultural water came from the Colorado River. If you move to Yuma County, however, though, those numbers are going to be very much more skewed towards the Colorado River when you're talking most of the water they use is surface water that comes from the river. And that's by virtue of the fact that they're located close to it, that they have very senior rights, and that, um, you know, it just works really well for the crops that they grow to use the river water that's right there. So when we took cuts, we, Arizona, took cuts to Colorado River water last time around, most of that was passed along, as they said, to the agriculture sector. Do we know with these new cuts that have been announced that will kick in at the end of the year, how much of that will be absorbed by agriculture? Or is now it going to be starting to spread to more urban areas? 
it's kind of a yes and answer. Um, the 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 you know math of it when you look at that, yes, it, the original cuts were pretty much entirely absorbed by agriculture in Pinal County, and that's just because of where they fell on the priority system and where that water was going. Now with the new Tier Two A cuts, we are going to be cutting into uh, what's named the non-Indian Ag Water Pool. Um, that actually does go um, to some tribal entities. And so it's kind of um, inaptly named at this point. Um, but so we will see tribal entities start to lose their allotment and some of those cities and municipalities from the NIA pool. Having said that, however, anytime there are water scarcity issues in a state like Arizona, where agriculture has been used as the savings account for water, essentially, you know, we're, we're putting excess water there, we're using a lot of water in that sector it always gets looked at as the low hanging fruit for where are we going to find that next margin for our water supply? Where are we going to find that buffer? When you talk about agriculture decreasing their usage, a lot of people are going to make the assumption that means we're not growing crops anymore. We're going to let land just go fallow. Maybe we'll grow houses instead of cotton realistically, what does reducing water on the side of agriculture actually look like, especially in light of the cuts they already took last year? It could absolutely look like what you just described, where we're going to see fewer acres that are in production simply because there's not the water to sustain that production. And that's already what we're seeing in Pinal County. Um, I don't have hard and fast numbers, but based on conversations that I have with my members, um, things that I've heard from the irrigation districts who manage the distribution of that water, we're looking at about 50% fewer acres in Pinal County than what we would have seen this time last year or in times when they had a Colorado River water supply to deal with. And just to put that into perspective, you know, agriculture is about a $2.3 billion industry in that county. And Pinal County Ag is a, a very heavy hitter nationwide as well. They're in the top 1% in sales for a lot of crops, including things like cotton. Um, I believe the top 2% for cattle and calf crops. So that really is a, it's a huge impact on a very crucial sector of the agricultural industry. However, that doesn't have to be all that it looks like in terms of agriculture reducing water use. It can also mean that farmers are looking to employ uh, new and improved technologies, drip systems if they don't already have them, different soil sensoring and monitoring so that they're changing up that irrigation structure to make them even more efficient than they are. Um, however, in order to do all of that, you have to have the capital resources to invest in that kind of technology. And when you're looking at cutting down your production capacity by 50%, uh, those capital resources become fewer and farther between. The other thing that gets mentioned a lot is, well, why don't you just switch the crop that you're growing, you know, switch to something that's less water intensive. Again, we are going to see that and we'll definitely see transitions to different crop mixes and patterns. It's agriculture, which means you're not going to be able to make that transition on a dime. And you've been making these planning decisions 9, 12, 18 months down the road because that's how long it's going to take from the inception of that crop to actually harvesting that crop. You mentioned planning. We know that the U.S. Department of Interior has told the Colorado River Basin states, okay, this was a small cut. You all have to figure out how to cut more. That uncertainty, because we don't know what more will equal when the negotiations are finished between the states, that uncertainty has got to be difficult on farmers, as you said, who are planning 9, 12, 18 months out. How do they run a business model like that? 
really difficult to do. And uncertainty is absolutely the word. And the guidance, if you want to call it that, um, at this point from the Bureau has been nothing short of um, unhelpful. <laughs> if you look at in, in June, uh, we heard from the Bureau of Reclamation that an additional two to four million acre feet may be necessary in terms of reduction in use of the river to prevent Lake Mead from going to that dead pool where we're not seeing power generation possibilities. So despite the uncertainty and despite really not knowing what's going to be expected or what's going to be asked of all of the lower basin states as a whole, but then of agriculture specifically. Um, I think our farmers in Yuma are a really good example of sort of being innovative in the midst of that uncertainty. So what they did was got together and said, right now, we're not being told this is what you must do. So let's figure out what we can do. How much of a haircut can we take in terms of our water allocation and remain profitable? And then let's take that amount of water and say, all right, this is what we're able to give you. And that's what's become kind of colloquially known as the Save the River Plan. So Yuma got together and said, we believe that as an industry, we could take one acre foot of water per acre less. So whatever our allocation is, if it's four acre feet, six acre feet, subtract one. And then if you multiply that by how many acres are in the Yuma area and how many acres are in the Imperial Valley of California area, we could actually get up to a really significant number somewhere in the 900,000 acre foot range, which is not two to four, but it's, it's a lot and it's enough to make a significant difference. And so they've come together and kind of voluntarily said, all right, this is what we would be willing to do. We would need to be compensated for taking that water cut because we are taking away a critical resource. So we're going to need compensation to adjust our growing patterns, to implement that water saving technology, to figure out how this, how our businesses operate in this new system, but we can do that. And if we can find that compensation, we can work together and every acre in this valley can, can make this work, then that can be our contribution and that can get us all the further down the road. So I think farmers are really looking at this going, even though there's uncertainty here, we're in the midst of it. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how we run our business. They are doing everything they can to take that into their own hands and say, we're trying to add some certainty into the uncertainty. Federal government, California, can you work with us to make this happen? So kids who grew up in Arizona learned all about the five C's of the economy. And of course, three of those, citrus, cotton, cattle, are agriculture. Historically, the underpinnings of the economy in Arizona, is agriculture actually endangered with these water cuts that don't seem like they're going to be changing anytime soon? Maybe we stop being an agricultural state? Is agriculture in danger? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is, we've described it as an existential crisis to the industry in Arizona. And there are a lot of good reasons that every Arizonan should care about that. And they all have to do with food security. They have to do with national security and our ability to safely and affordably and reliably feed our families. Water is the most crucial resource that any of us use, regardless of what industry we're in, regardless of what we're doing. We, we literally cannot live without it. And agriculture uses that water to create another thing that we need, which is food that goes on our table. So at this point, it's not the time to panic, but it is the time to take a step back and say, how do we adjust the economy that we have? How do we adjust our expectations and our vision for the future of our state? 
with a water future and a, a water reality that looks like it does, making sure that we're protecting those crucial industries. That's a really easy thing for me to say when I'm sitting here and just talking to somebody, a much, much harder conversation to actually have. That was the Arizona Farm Bureau's Chelsea McGuire. To learn more about how farmers and everyone else are living with the drought, check out AZPM's podcast Tapped, hosted by Megan Myskowski. You can find it on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week as we look at recent changes to how cities can regulate short-term rentals and why at least one mayor says it doesn't go far enough. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Lornan. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.